afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? What's up? And welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Wojak. Luke Smith is here. And Tyler Horka from BlueAndGold.com is going to join us shortly to break down everything he's been seeing and hearing at Notre Dame's preseason camp. Obviously, Luke and I are reading and, and listening to as much Notre Dame stuff as we can, but it helps to have someone who's actually there to see it live. Um, so we appreciate Tyler for coming on. He has a bunch of great insight that I'm excited for you all to hear. Then Luke and I are going to discuss Notre Dame's rankings in the preseason polls. The Irish come in at number five in the AP poll. And we'll also talk a little bit about Notre Dame's status as an independent and their future uh, with their television partner, NBC, because there have been some reports that have come out recently that are pretty interesting, and I think will tell us a lot about Notre Dame's future, both as an independent and on television. Also, as a reminder, if you're watching us on YouTube, please like this video and subscribe below. We appreciate everyone watching and listening, and hope you can help us out a little bit by hitting that subscribe button. All right, let's bring on Tyler Horka. All right, we're joined now by Tyler Horka, Notre Dame beat writer for blueandgold.com and on 3Sports. Uh, first off, thanks so much for joining us. It's been far too long since we've had you on last. We appreciate you taking the time. How have you been? I'm good, man. Uh, the summer feels like it went by way too fast, but whenever that happens, all it means is football's right around the corner. So I'll take it less than three weeks till the season opener and fall camp has been fun to cover so far. So I'm excited, man. Football season's the best time of year, so I, I won't complain about the summer wasn't by. Okay. Was this your first full South Bend summer? It was. And I am I'm like, after this interview, I'll probably go sit on the patio before the sun goes down because <laughs> it's amazing. And I was just yeah. talking to my dad last night and he was like, you can keep throwing these temperatures at me because he lives in Texas. I'm from Texas. He's like, keep, keep doing this because in three months I'll be doing it to you. And I'm like, you absolutely. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to take what I can get. All right. Let's start with Tyler Buckner. Um, the biggest news coming out of camp so far this past Saturday, Marcus Freeman made the announcement that Tyler Buckner will be the starting quarterback for the Irish this fall. It's like we all knew we'd get to this point eventually, but the timing of the announcement seemed to happen a little bit sooner than some of us might have expected. What went into the decision and the timing of the announcement? What's funny is us at blueandgold.com, Patrick Engel, Ashton Pollard, if you guys aren't following them, they do a tremendous job. We kind of felt it coming. So I think it was Thursday we said we should probably be prepared for Marcus Freeman to address this in some capacity and probably name a starter on Saturday. Because if you go back to last year, Jack Cohn was kind of on the same timeline. I think Brian Kelly spoke on a Saturday afternoon. They were about one week into camp, which is exactly what happened this time. And as you were saying, if you kind of knew that it was going to get to this point, I think that's the general timeline in a fall camp, you give it a week, you kind of reassure what you already knew that Tyler Buckner is the best quarterback on the team. Last year, Jack Cohen was the best quarterback on the team and you just address it. And this was the second time that he spoke during fall camp. So the first fall camp press conference was kind of, let's, you know, do the first day of school type of thing. Let's address everything. And the quarterbacks were only a small part of that. This past Saturday was okay. Tyler Buckner is our starting quarterback. You guys knew it all along. It's official now. Let's talk about it for 30 minutes right now because it's all anyone wanted to talk about anyway. So I think that was the timing of it. And now you've got two more weeks of fall camp where you can funnel all of the reps to Tyler Buckner. You don't have to act like Drew Pine is, you know, a 50-50 in this, you know, debate because I don't know if he ever was. I think he made it maybe a little closer than some people might have thought he would. But at this point, Give Tyler Buckner 80, 90% of it, let him roll into his sophomore season. 
Tommy Reese and Marcus Freeman had a lot of great things to say about Buckner after it was announced, which is to be expected. But is there anything from what you've seen at practice or in talking to players that really sticks out to you and makes you believe that Buckner can have a, a strong to, to great season? So it's kind of funny because some of the things that they were saying, they kept harping on the ownership. Uh, I, I should go back and you know re-listen to Tommy Reese's interview and see how many times he used that word. Because I think that's some of the things that we don't get to see in our 30 minutes and and change. And then we, we've only seen one practice in full. When you get the whole practice, I think you can get a sense of, okay, yeah, that guy's quarterback number one. We saw it with Jack Cohn last year. This year, the first practice that we saw was the full practice. So it was kind of hard to say, okay, Tyler Buckner's quarterback one. He clearly looks like it because everybody had those first stage jitters. I think even Tyler Buckner was trying to go through the motions. But you watch him more and more. I think it's how relaxed he is. That's what I notice. You, you go to the quarterback drills and last year, I know I keep bringing up his name. You can tell, okay, number 17, that guy's the starting quarterback. I think the more you watch these drills this year, you're like, whoa, okay, number 12 sticks out. There's a reason he's going first every single time. There's a reason these guys are gravitating toward him. The wide receivers and be it tight ends and running backs too. They want to get their reps in with number 12 that's because he's the starting quarterback. That's because he has this presence. And everyone always talks about Drew Pine and Moxie, and I think he has a ton of it, but that can only lead you so far. Tyler Buckner has the talent. And then I think, uh, I can't remember where it was. I either read it or I heard it. I don't think it happened with Marcus Freeman or Tommy Reese, but somebody used Moxie with Tyler Buckner. And then I started looking for it in him the past couple of days. And I was like, you know what? He has a lot of it too. And he has all this talent on top of that. I mean, it was a no-brainer to name him the starting quarterback. Yeah, I mean, we first heard the name Tyler Buckner in March of 2019. I mean, he came in with a lot of hype, but every time I've seen an interview of him, he looks completely unfazed by all the pressure. Like, he, he's that was before he was named the starter. So you think that just pretty much stayed the same? Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you guys for shouting out the story that I wrote on him. I guess it was a couple months ago at this point, but I talked to his high school coaches and, you know, Shane Walton is one of his high school coaches, now his head coach. And I think that, you know, this is a guy that you go back to that junior year of high school. I mean, I don't care who you're playing. If you throw for 4,500 yards and 53 touchdowns and add, I think it was over 1,500 yards on the ground, 6,000 yards of offense, you got to try to do that if you're playing kids who have no business being on the field with you. You you can't do that on on a playground in sixth grade. So I think he has the it factor. Everybody looks for a a quarterback with it factor. I know you guys have been rooting for Notre Dame all your life. I mentioned uh, earlier before we started that, you know, I I grew up in Texas and we hadn't really had a quarterback with the it factor at UT since probably Colt McCoy. Vince Young obviously had it and we won a national title. Sam Ellinger had a little bit of that, but the team around him wasn't good. The team around Tyler Buckner is phenomenal. So if he has that it factor, and I know there's going to be, you know, growing pains. He's a sophomore. Let's remember that. And he hasn't been the starter for any football team since 2019. But if you got the it factor, you have the talent and you have the right head on your shoulders, uh, the sky's the limit probably maybe not for him this year. I think he's going to be really good. But ultimately, as the starting quarterback at Notre Dame, I think the sky's the limit for this kid. Well, anyone who follows your work knows you're a big fan of Drew Pine. Uh, You've already mentioned his moxie, his attitude. We've heard about a lot. We sometimes joke on the show that he looks more like an accountant than a D1 quarterback. But in all seriousness, we have a lot, a lot of respect for him and certainly what he's given to the program. We've heard about how him and Buckner are such good friends and how he is like fully supported Buckner here. And you wrote a little bit about this on the site. But what's next for Drew Pine here and his Notre Dame career? If he is fine with being a career backup, I think he's the poster child of you know, being a backup quarterback. We saw it two times last year, right? Wisconsin and Cincinnati. I think he played pretty well in both of those games. The Cincinnati game was was a really tough spot to be in. And he kind of crawled Notre Dame back into that game. So that's the moxie. That's the gamer in him. If you have a backup quarterback, you want a guy that, you know, when when the starter goes down or whatever happens to the starter, this guy comes in and, and he plays well. You know, he, he doesn't wreck the team. I, I think you see it in the NFL all the time. Quarterbacks are at a premium and there's probably 20 to 30 guys. And those are your starting quarterbacks across the 20, you know, the 32 teams. Those guys can play really good quarterback. You lose them. 
I mean, what backup is there in the NFL where you say we're going to win all of our games? I think Drew Pine is as close to that as it gets in college football. And if you don't have that, look, if he is totally committed to Notre Dame, that's the best case scenario for Notre Dame, because usually in in a college quarterback competition, a guy will win. The guy who loses, it is so easy now to just leave. And Drew Pine could have left yesterday. He could have left on Saturday. The news could have come out Sunday morning that, you know, his name is in the transfer portal. He's going to sit this season out and he's going to try to start a quarterback somewhere in 2023. I don't think that's who Drew Pine is. He's going to stick this out. Uh, Notre Dame fans don't want me to hear it, but Tyler Buckner has had his injury history. So I know Drew Pine is not rooting for that. Nobody in blue and gold is rooting for that. But I think he also understands that that is potentially one, you know, hit away, one set of stairs away. And Drew Pine is starting for Notre Dame at quarterback. (laughs) Bottom line is he's totally committed to this program. And at least for this 22-22 season, I expect it to be the same way. Yeah, could have walked away just like Miles Brennan did yesterday, whenever that was. Uh, (laughs) Anyways, changing gears a little bit. Um, on On the same day that it was announced that Tyler Buckner would be the starter, Marcus Freeman shared the unfortunate news that Avery Davis suffered a torn ACL on his left leg during practice and will miss the 2022 season. Everyone who follows Notre Dame knows about the issues at receiver, but I'll spell it out anyway. They only have seven healthy scholarship receivers on the roster, including a true freshman in Tobias Merriweather and a former walk-on in Matt Salerno. What has Chancey Stuckey been doing to manage that situation? He's my most fun guy to watch at practices. Uh, I've been assigned to the offense, kind of. I mentioned Patrick Ingle's name earlier. He does a really good job covering the defense for us at blueandgold.com. So as soon as I get out there, I I hustle over to the wide receivers because I can kind of see the offensive line from where I stand watching the wide receivers, and I can see the quarterbacks too. But I want to stand right next to Chancey Stuckey and listen to everything that he has to say. We've written about him a couple times this week. I've got a story going up. Uh, I don't know when this podcast comes out, but uh, Wednesday morning, I guess. Yeah, it's Tuesday night right now. Wednesday morning, I got a story on basically what Chancey Stuckey tries to put these wide receivers through. And that's why I like watching him. He purposely throws balls behind their heads, way out in front of them, at their feet, over their heads. He kind of jokes with Tobias Merriweather, who's 6'4". I really think he's 6'5". That dude is gigantic. I'm 5'11", and he's definitely got like half a foot on me in cleats for sure. But he can't get the ball high enough over Tobias Merriweather's head, and and he gets mad at himself. He's like, I'm going to give you a tough one. I'm going to give you a hard one. So he knows what he's working with or what he's not working with, the lack thereof in terms of depth and numbers with this group. He's modified some routes. I think it was really interesting when he said the other day, if they're working on 20-yard comebacks, they'll literally just run the last five yards of that route. So he'll have a guy run a five-yard stop essentially and mimic it as a, you know, a 20 yard comeback. So that's all to save their legs. That's to save their energy. It's hard to get through a two hour practice when you've only got seven guys. I'm sure you guys played youth football. The, the shorter the line is the more out of breath you're going to be every time you get back in that line. So I think, I think he just is a smart coach. He understands what this situation is. He comes from a really good program where, I'm sure they were never this depleted at Clemson with the wide receiver room and with all the wide receivers that have come out of there. I mean, there's some names, but I think that helps in any situation like this because, you know, he's, he's seen what it takes to, to have maybe the best wide receivers in the nation. And maybe he doesn't have those numbers here at Notre Dame, but he's going to get them. And with what he's working with right now, there's not like there's a lack of talent. I mean, I think Lorenzo styles is, a bona fide number one wide receiver. And I wrote about that at blueandgold.com. Braden Lindsay might have the best year that he's ever had at Notre Dame. Jaden Thomas is coming along really well. So there's some guys out there. He's just got to, you know, hope that they all stay healthy because that loss of Avery Davis was, was a huge one. That's a team captain. And that's a guy that everyone looks up to in that room. Speaking of health, uh, should Michael Mayer take another rep between now and September 3rd? I say yes, because I just love watching him at practice. It seems like anything that is thrown in his general vicinity, he catches. He might as well be doing those uh, drills with Chancey Stuckey because <laughs> if Chancey Stuckey's throwing it over Michael Mayer's head, Michael Mayer's going to catch it. That's just who he is. All right. Well, I'd like to see him do that in the actual game. Like, you get to see it now. I might not get to if something happens at practice, but we'll just pray that doesn't happen. All right. Tommy Reese said that. Notre Dame has enough talent on the offense to sort of combat the lack of receivers. What do you expect they'll do on offense? Now, I'm sure they're not really showing all this in practice, 
but just to put the best skilled players available in a position to succeed without running them into the ground, so to speak. Well, I'll tell you what, I saw Chris Tyree run maybe the best double move I've ever seen on J.D. Bertrand and get like four yards of separation on him in a 20 or 30 yard stretch. I saw Logan Diggs put a move in the slot where he was actually split out wide and then he motioned into the slot. So he, he was playing a true, you know, X or Z wide, wide receiver position and he comes into the slot double move all of a sudden he's got the ball running across the middle of the field to answer your question Tommy Reese can kind of do anything with all of these guys I think the freshman tight ends that came in Eli Raritan and Holden stays I've been thoroughly impressed with them they look like guys that could split out wide right now and maybe bully some you know if they get matched up with a 5'10 cornerback or maybe a nickel or you know there's going to be mismatches with those guys so Maybe you, you came in and you saw the depth at tight end and you were like, oh, we're going to redshirt these guys and, you know, we're going to get the most out of them for the you know duration of their careers. I think with how dire the wide receiver numbers are right now, if you've got talents like that, you put them on the field right now, especially with what you got in week one against Ohio State. I'm expecting that to be a pretty high scoring game, even with how deep and I think good Notre Dame's defense is. You're going to have to score points in that game. There's a couple other games on the schedule that you're going to have to score points in put your most talented players on the field. If they're freshmen, so be it. I think there's a lot of talent in those other two skill position rooms, tight end and running back that you can use them in a lot of different ways. Last night on the offense here, we've seen a lot of reports about how impressive Notre Dame's offensive line has looked so far. I know this is only your second year, second full season covering the team, but I'm more interested to know what it's been like for you to see how Harry Heastan operates during practice, knowing that you don't have a reference point from his previous run at Notre Dame. I had heard plenty from people on the beat. You know, we're all pretty close on the beat, so they they share stories. And you hear it and you're like, okay, football coach likes to get yell, loud and, and yell at his guys. I, I, I've seen that. But there was a particular day last week where I was watching the wide receivers like I do, because I think that's right now one of the most interesting position groups on the team. But like I told you, all the the, or the uh, offensive line is just a few steps away. And I'm sitting there with my camcorder, you know, re- recording some catches, doing the chancy stucky thing. And all of a sudden I just hear F this, you know, F, you got to do this. And that's the effing gap right there. Shoot the effing gap. And I'm like, whoa. That, that was my welcome to Harry Easton moment. I know we got him in the spring, and this was probably practice number five or six of the fall for me to be out there. But I was like, this is one of those days where you can tell that Harry Heastand is a different dude. And look, I played hockey growing up, and I think hockey coaches are some of the most vulgar dudes out there. So I'm used to that. And when I heard Harry Heastand do that, I was like, this resonates, man. Like these dudes are 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. They want to be kicked in the ass. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sorry if I, am I allowed to say you that? Can on swear. The yeah. And told to do a better job. They don't want to be patted on the back. There's times for that. And I think uh, Chancey Stuckey actually said that this week, there's, there's a time to pat a guy on the back with the wide receiver room right now. You got to, it's that positive affirmation. You got to tell them they're doing a good job with the offensive line everybody's telling them that they're the best thing since sliced bread and they're going to be so good this year. Make them feel the other way for at least you know, 45 minutes because that's going to you know motivate them to grind a little harder. And that moment I was like, yeah, Harry, he stands a different animal. <laughs> that's great. All right. We'll switch gears over to the defensive side of the ball. Now I know you said that you've been focusing primarily on the offense, but in doing so, I'm sure you've seen a lot of the DBs when the receivers are going one-on-one and stuff like that. And just, I'm not asking you to predict how the DBs are going to fare against Ohio State. I don't think anyone wants to put a prediction on that just yet. But who do you expect to at least take the majority of the snaps back there and into what role? Because that that was sort of a question mark coming into camp. Like we knew who was probably going to be out there, but in what capacity? I think you're going to see a lot of nickel just because Ohio State's going to send four wide receivers out there, maybe split a running back out there. All of a sudden you're having to cover five guys who are running routes. Tariq Bracey has looked really good in camp. I think he's a guy that's going to benefit from coming back for that fifth year. He was one of the the holdouts, I guess, when everyone was announcing, I'm coming back, I'm coming back. Everyone was saying, what yeah. about Tariq Bracey? I, thought he, I assumed he was gone because of that. That's what, that's what we assumed, too. Patrick was. I think Patrick had this story drafted up, like Tariq Bracey's gone, Notre Dame's going to have to figure out what to do at nickel. 
I think Jaden Mickey can also play nickel, by the way, and he can play a lot of the positions in the defensive backfield. So he's going to be a guy that rotates in. I don't know if we see him start unless there's an injury, but I think he's, he gets in there just because he's so athletic. Uh, we see him returning punts. Brandon Joseph also returns punts. That's always a key indicator as to who your really athletic defensive backs are. Those two guys are really good. But Bracey's going to be important because there's going to be guys coming out of the slot that, especially against Ohio State, you're going to have to cover and you're going to have to cover him tight. If he has his best year in a Notre Dame uniform, that's going to completely transform the Irish secondary. Uh, Brandon Joseph, you know, everyone talks about the Kyle Hamilton comparison. They're totally different players. Kyle Hamilton's a, a you know a freak. The pterodactyl, I think somebody called him leading up to the NFL draft. But Brandon Joseph is he's quick. He's athletic. Uh, I think he can be elite. I mean, he's been elite. He's, he's an All-American before at Northwestern. So he's obviously going to be important. But another guy, a lot of people weren't talking about going into fall camp, but I can't get enough of this guy. I think he had a couple interceptions in the full practice that we watched was DJ Brown. I wouldn't be shocked if he was the other safety opposite of Brandon Joseph and those two guys are the ones that they trotted out against Ohio state. Another fifth year guy, maybe not the you know flashiest career, but there were times last year where you could say, Oh, this guy might be the second best safety on the team behind Kyle Hamilton. So uh, Ramon Henderson, I think is still coming along. Xavier Watts is still coming along. So I think you look at those experienced guys, Joseph being one of them, Bracey being another, uh, Houston Griffith's going to find a way to get on the field, but DJ Brown has been looking really good too. And then the corners, you know, obviously it's Cam Hart, it's Clarence Lewis. I think, you know, that's the way it was all of last year. People talk about the Fiesta Bowl with Clarence Lewis. I think that's a little bit of a one-off. That game was just weird in, in the way that it played out with Notre Dame jumping out big and then, you know, Oklahoma State roaring back. And then you get picked on a little bit when a team is trying to come back like that. And, and Oklahoma State has some really good wide receivers too. So I think he's going to be better. And if he is, he's another one of those guys like Tariq, Bace, Tariq Bracey. If Clarence Lewis is really good this year, I think the Notre Dame secondary is really good this year. Yeah, I like that that concept. We'll see if it happens. Uh, switching to the the linebackers, the thing we've read and heard repeatedly is just how smart they are. Guys like Jack Kaiser, Shady Bertrand, and Bo Bauer. That, that's not that surprising, I guess, considering they're all seniors and, and just the experience they have. But based on what you've seen, how do you expect Al Golden to utilize this group and capitalize on their football IQ? I think Al Golden's a guy that's been around long enough to know how to do that. You know, he's been a head coach in the college ranks for, for quite some time at Temple in Miami. And then he probably learned a whole lot, let's be honest, on a Super Bowl run with the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, you learn a whole lot when things aren't going well when he was with the Detroit Lions too. So it's his wealth of knowledge that I think doesn't really need to rub off onto these guys because they're already so smart, but I think it works in tandem. And I said it a lot last year, some of these guys – they make up for what they might lack a little bit in athleticism with their smarts. You know, J.D. Bertrand's probably not the most athletic guy on the field, but he was smart enough to put himself in position to get over 100 tackles last year. Uh, Drew White probably, you know, he, he kind of showed Bo Bauer the ropes. I think Bo Bauer's going to be really good. He could probably start, honestly, over J.D. Bertrand if I had it my way, but if those are the two guys that are rotating in at middle linebacker, you've got two really good ones. Jack Kaiser might be, I don't know if it's smarts. I don't know what it is, but I think he's just savvy. I think he's a really good football player, puts himself in the right positions. And then Maris Leofowl, I mean, that, that guy's an athletic freak show. If, if he is, you know, the guy that has the smarts, but also has that athletic ability at the will linebacker position, he kind of completely transforms what Notre Dame does with the middle of its defense. Because I just talked about J.D. Bertrand maybe not being the most athletic guy. He was playing you know, in place of Leah Fowl at will last year and being asked to do, quite frankly, more than he probably should have. But if that's Leah Fowl, the guy who probably can do all of those things playing that position, you slide Bertrand over. All of a sudden you've got one of the most complete uh, linebacking core when, when you take into account Kaiser savviness, Leah Fowl's athleticism, and then the two guys in the middle, Bauer and Bertrand's wits. I mean, there's a reason now Golden keeps saying, oh, my God, these guys are so smart. These guys are so good. I think it's just the truth. It's, it's what they are. Yeah, and Kaiser's a pretty good athlete in his own right. I heard he tested out like super well in all the summer conditioning stuff, so I'm sure he might he might lead the league in uh, deceptively athletic references as the season goes along. But 
What difference have you noticed, if any, um, honestly, compared to the way that Marcus Freeman is running his first preseason camp compared to how Brian Kelly ran his, or at least from what you saw last season? Well, I'll just draw the comparison from the spring to right now in fall camp. There's a comfort factor that I think Marcus Freeman has uh, in the spring. I'm going to be quite honest. He looked like he was all over the place. His head was spinning. He didn't know where to go. And I think he said that in some press conferences. He admitted, I don't know what the heck I'm doing right now. I'm kind of relying on players and coaches alike to guide me through this. There's a little bit of urgency and there's a sense that he knows what he's doing now. These drills that they're starting out with, I don't know if you guys have been reading about like the ball security things that they've been doing or the competitive one-on-one stuff. I think that has been a lot more intense. There was kind of a, in the spring, there was a sense of, oh, this is kind of fun. This It was the honeymoon phase. It really was. But now it seems like there's a purpose behind all of those things that they're doing. And then that just comes with the season being a few weeks away, obviously. But I go back to last year's fall camp with Brian Kelly. It kind of felt the same. I think the one difference is these practices are kind of random, but I think they're random to us because we have no idea what these players are about to do when the whistle hits and period three is over and they put five minutes on the clock for period four. I've got no idea where they're going. There was a, there was a period the other day where they started doing one-on-ones. I was like, Oh crap, I'm on the wrong side of the field. I got to hustle over there with Brian Kelly. So rigid, so structured, Period three ended. I'm like, okay, I'm going to walk over here because the quarterbacks are going to throw out routes to the wide receivers now. It's kind of, uh, and we've heard of this a lot with the Marcus Freeman practices, up-tempo, people are, I mean, it, it was hot on that first day of fall camp, but I think Blake Fisher and Zeke Carell probably would have made it through the first day of a Brian Kelly fall camp with the same temperatures. And I mean, I like it from a media standpoint, keeps you on your toes. I think the players like it because like I said, there's a sense of everything that they're doing. They're doing it for a reason. This might be a bit of a reach, but, but bear with me for a second going into 2020, the name Kyron Williams barely registered to most Notre Dame fans, just another guy on the depth chart. Then we kept hearing over and over about how he was dominating in camp. And he put that on full display with an incredible season is there any player having a similar camp to that 2020 run uh, Kyron Williams had so far? Mm, really good question. Um, I'm just trying to think of all the guys who who have stood out uh, running back wise. And, and this kind of leads into what I would say with that group. I think there's a lot of really good guys, but there is no Kyron Williams. I, I, I haven't seen it. I mean, uh, he's, he might be once in a generation. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I totally agree with that. He's a good running back like that at that stature and that height and, and doing all the things he could do with speed, strength and all that. He was one of my favorite players to watch. And I'll always remember covering his junior season. But this this camp, I don't know. I don't know if Notre Dame has that guy. Maybe they do. And I just haven't seen it yet. And, and that's the fun part of following a, a football season. But with the wide receivers, I would say it's maybe Jaden Thomas, just because there's this, like, I don't want to say it's Lorenzo Styles because we already, we already expect so much from Lorenzo Styles. Jaden Thomas, I think the expectations are creeping up and the way you put it with Kyron Williams, he might've already surpassed the expectations that, you know, Kyron had on August 16th of, of 2020. But Jaden Thomas, when I, when I went out there to practice on August 5th and I saw him running with the ones and I saw him targeted on multiple pass plays on a, you know, they kind of did, they brought back a Brian Kellyism for that day where they're running routes on air down the field, five plays, you're in the end zone. Jaden Thomas got the ball a couple times on that. And usually that's reserved for Michael Mayer. You're like, okay, I'm just going to hit Michael Mayer on a drag route right here. Let's get down the field. Jaden Thomas looks like a guy that could start right now. And I think he could, he's, I think Chancey Stucky said he's bulky, or I don't know what the word he used, but he's got a body type that none of these other Notre Dame wide receivers have. So you get down into the red zone. If you're not looking for Michael Mayer, I don't know why you're not looking for Jaden Thomas. He looks like he could bully somebody off the line of scrimmage, make a contested catch. And I think his mindset is there, which is crazy because he's just a sophomore and, you know, Lorenzo Styles is just a sophomore. Deion Colsey is just a sophomore. And I don't want to pick on Deion Colsey, but I'll just say this. I see something with Jaden Thomas when he's out there physically and mentally 
that I haven't really seen with Deion Colsey yet. Doesn't mean it's not going to come, but I think Jaden Thomas is getting there a lot quicker than a lot of people expected. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame desperately needs one of those sophomore receivers to step up in a big way this season. So that's really encouraging to hear about Thomas. All right, last one before we let you go. The only prediction we're going to ask you to make, which position group is going to be the biggest strength on Notre Dame's roster this season? I think we did this at blueandgold.com, or or maybe it was the magazine. Uh, Me and Todd Burlich, who's been covering Notre Dame for a long time for us, I boiled it down to two. And I was like, it's either the offensive line or the defensive line. And for any football team, that is a really good debate to have. But I ended up going with the defensive line just because I think Isaiah Foskey is an animal. And if he doesn't pursue that sack record again, then something went terribly wrong this season. I fully expect him to be the all-time leader in sacks in Notre Dame history by the time he's done with this season. And then Riley Mills is going to be a revelation. I was saying it in October of last year, I was before he even had those two sacks against Virginia, I said, move this guy to strong end next year, put a little bit of, you know, poundage on his already massive frame. And this guy's going to be a menace. There's been multiple times during fall camp this season where Foskey and Mills have converged on a quarterback at the same exact time. And I told Foskey the other day, I said, that's exactly where you want to meet your other defensive end, right? That's the best place to meet him for a little chat, maybe a little high five. So those guys are really good. Jason Adam and Lola doesn't get enough love for what he does on the interior. Led the team in quarterback pressures last year. If he does that again, there's three guys right there who are designed to get to the quarterback. And then Howard Cross, Jacob Lacey, whoever you want to use at the other tackle spot. I think they've both been really good. And I think you see a tandem with those two guys. So all in all, the defensive line is going to be amazing. And I mean, that just kind of sets the tone for the entire defense. I think the linebackers in the secondary will be better for that as well all right be sure to check out tyler's work on blueandgold.com and pick up the blue and gold preseason magazine as well uh, you can also give him a follow at tb horka on twitter to stay up to date on all of his honorary coverage we appreciate you staying up with this man uh, i know it's late on the east coast we'll talk again soon yeah i appreciate you guys having me on anytime all right and that was tyler horka i thought he had a lot of interesting stuff to say what were some of the biggest takeaways you had luke yeah, I, I totally agree with you, uh, and I, I think there were a couple things. You know, his his idea that you're in a pretty good position if your two best position groups are, are in the trenches. Um, I agree with that. Uh, I think that that's something that's going to give Notre Dame a fighting shot in Columbus just because of how dominant they are on both sides of the line. Um, I also liked hearing his note about uh, Jaden Thomas because uh, I've kind of just thought, just from videos, he looks a little bit bigger, and he touched on that, how he's a little bit unique in that receiver room. Thought it was interesting to hear him um, talk about Chancey Stuckey a little bit and how he's modified some drills to to keep receivers fresh. And, and I think it's interesting because I think we've heard from a number of people just how drawn they are to Chancey Stuckey as a coach. And, I mean, this is a guy that it's, what, his second year really as a, as a full-time position coach. Um, he clearly is very interesting and, and, and very engaging at practice to a lot of people. So just thought it was interesting to hear that come through again uh, because it seems to be quite the strong theme from people who have been around him. Yeah, the one part that I didn't necessarily love is the fact that receivers can't even practice 20-yard comebacks. <laughs> they just they just have yeah. to practice the tail end of that. Uh, this is the first time that we've had the chance to talk about the Avery Davis injury. Uh, so I just want to touch on that. Putting aside how it impacts the Notre Dame receiver depth chart. That is just such a tough blow. It seems like everyone on the team loved him. We know the story. He's been at Notre Dame for like two decades now. He's played every position on the roster. And this year he was poised to have a breakout year. And to see that just all end before it can really even start is just really disappointing. So we feel feel for him. But, I mean, he's got to be one of the most interesting career arcs of any Notre Dame player in our lifetime. Really, really does have to be. Uh, I mean, I remember he was not a main character, but he was on QB1, like when Fromm and Tate Martell were on that show because he played against one of them in a game. I think it was Tate Martell, actually, or maybe it was Fromm. I don't remember, but he was on one of those episodes. That was six years ago now, Um, and he was a quarterback. And, yeah, I remember when he first started playing running back in 2019, kind of after Kyron got benched, actually, believe it or not. And then he had a couple plays in that New Mexico game that was maybe the worst team I've ever seen come to Notre Dame outside of Bowling Green later that year. Uh, But just the way he developed throughout his career, I mean, he has the most 
Arguably the most iconic play of the Kelly era, probably, with that post route. Two um, of them, maybe. Right, in the touchdown, of course. And people kind of sleep on the fact that if he doesn't if he doesn't get tackled on that post route and scores, we might lose that game on a field goal. So very heady play there to get tackled. Uh, and really, last year before he got hurt, he was our most reliable receiving option outside of Michael Mayer. He was our most reliable receiver. So it sucks that he's not going to get that chance. Um, I... I haven't heard anything. I'd be very surprised if he did try to come back again. I mean, I just maybe he's wired a little bit differently than I am. In fact, I'm pretty confident he is. But I, <laughs> I, I would just uh, I would struggle to see him coming back for a per- potentially seventh year, and that just sucks because um, I know we wanted him for selfish reasons this year, but you really just wanted to see him get another chance to to play because he was he was a hell of a player for Notre Dame. Yeah, seven years in South Bend is far far too many. I mean, six years is is plenty as is. Four then, years is plenty. Yeah. And then I don't even know how that wor- would work if he could like leave the the school and come back. I, I don't think so. I think everyone is just expecting him to to move on and maybe you know make an NFL team. Like obviously, we wish him the best and hope that he's able to have a successful career in the NFL. And honestly, like. Just considering all the different shit that he's had to deal with up to this point, like I'm not counting him out. So best of luck to him. Yeah, you mentioned what Tyler was saying about Jane Thomas, that that's super encouraging because the news about uh, Deion Colsey, he suffered a, a sprained PCL, which shouldn't be too serious, but it's also you know not encouraging. That's a guy who needs reps. So if, if Jane Thomas can step up, that's really big. One thing I wanted to touch on too, since this came out since our last episode, Notre Dame comes in at number five in the AP preseason poll. I think that that's where they were at in the coaches as well. Um, That's their highest ranking in the preseason poll since 2006. And personally, I think preseason polls are the biggest waste of time, but it does at least give us an indication of what people around the sport think of Notre Dame. And, you know, I'm I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit surprised. I think that they should be in that, that sort of like four through seven range, but fifth surprised me. How do you feel about it? I'm not the first person to say this, but like, it's interesting because, you know, I don't know how I feel about this team compared to maybe some other teams that have come in uh, the last few years, like even 2019, 2020, 2020 for sure. Uh, But when you look at just the rest of college football, like, do I think we'd beat Texas A&M on injury field? Absolutely. Do I think we'd beat Michigan? Absolutely. Like everybody behind us. And honestly, I think we will beat Clemson. So I like even the four thing, I'm like, I think we could feasibly be ahead of Clemson in this poll. Um, so that's why it, it's just, I guess, maybe a little bit surprising that the rest of the world sees it like that, because that's just now, unless you're Paul Feinbaum, who I'm not even going to address what he said today, because he just, Clearly, he's, just, he's doing it so that you address it. So just well, don't do it's it. It's comedy yeah. hour. But yeah. um, the the interesting thing to me is that only one pollster had Notre Dame lower than ninth in the AP vote, and it was Brett McMurphy, who really doesn't count. Um, I mean, he kind of tarnished his whole career a couple of years ago with the whole Zach Smith stuff, and that's why nobody would hire him for forever. And he had Miami fourth, so I don't know why he has a vote. Uh, anyways, so the rest of the college football world sees to kind of see things this way, which is surprising, but I, I think it's right to your point. It doesn't matter, um, at all. And that's kind of all I got. All right. Moving on to another announcement. Um, NBC announced that Jack Collinsworth and Jason Garrett, the former Cowboys coach will call Notre Dame games this season. Um, I don't think there's any way you can spit it when you go from Mike Tirico, who's one of the greatest broadcasters ever to this young and inexperienced group as a broadcasting team. It's going to be perceived as a bit of a downgrade. Um, I, I, I feel like this, this has been a rumored since like what the beginning of summer. I feel like it was just, I think we heard this first in like March. Yeah. I don't know why it took them so long to announce it. Did they actually officially announce it, or was that yes. just a report? Okay. No, NBC okay. did finally confirm it because the, uh, someone from the New York Post reported what we all had been hearing for a long time. So I know it's sort of been on the, on our radar forever, but how do you feel now that it's official? I think it honestly kind of speaks to just, like, I don't really know what's going on at NBC. Uh, it just doesn't really seem like they're willing to dedicate a lot towards Notre Dame right now. Uh, and we'll get into this later, but, like, 
the Peacock thing. This just kind of seems like another instance in that line of just not really caring that much about this exclusive deal with Notre Dame, which is about to change, obviously, with the Big Ten and all that stuff. Um, that said, I've seen Jack Collins work through some stuff. He's definitely talented. He's inexperienced, to your point. I'm a little bit surprised, just given what we saw from Jason Garrett during his time in the NFL, that he wants to be a, a color guy. Like, he just didn't seem like he had that sort of personality, and, and we'll see how that is. Like, I think we probably see it a lot. Like, I, I think of Alex Rodriguez is probably a good example, although he's kind of fallen off from what – I thought when he first came started calling Sunday Night Baseball, he was a lot better than what I expected, uh, just because I – but. So I don't know, maybe Jason Garrett will be that. Now I don't think Alex Rodriguez is very good at Sunday Night Baseball anymore. But um, I'm just interested to see what that looks like because his personality does not seem to be like a guy that would want to call football games. Dude, I could not agree more on the Jason Garrett point. Like Jack getting the play-by-play role isn't really that much of a surprise. I mean, he's already been on the broadcast before the late last season. His dad is the most important broadcaster in the entire network, probably. And I know people probably see the last name Collinsworth and just assume nepotism, and I'm sure that's provided Jack with some opportunities. But anyone who's ever listened or watched Jack and what he covers, like he's very talented. There's no disputing that. So I think he will actually do well in this, but there's probably going to be some growing pains um, in his role as well. But Jason Garrett is the same dude who like got mad at the media because they didn't refer to him as coach, which is the lamest thing of all time. I thought that was so annoying. And now this guy's going to be the color commentator. So he went from disparaging the media for not addressing him properly to being the most important media figure around the Notre Dame program now. Like, I don't, I mean, I, I understand the fact that he was the head coach of the Cowboys gives him some name recognition here, but I haven't been, I haven't encountered one Notre Dame fan who's like, hell yeah. Like, we got Jason Garrett. Like, Cowboys fans don't like him. Like, no one, he's just so so vanilla and so boring. Like, I don't understand how that's going to work out at all. Uh, yeah, I'm just looking at this now. I did not realize, or maybe I did, but I forgot, that he's a, w, a double Ivy League grad between Princeton and Columbia, uh, and he's from Pennsylvania. I guess I just associated him as some Texas guy, but yeah. that makes more sense. Then again, and I understand this matters to a lot of people that listen to this, I couldn't care less because yeah, I'm at the game. So like, I was just gonna say so this like, is really yeah. You'll, you'll still you'll still watch the replays, and that's fine. But like, whatever. Um, Maybe this will this will combat the ticket problem. <laughs> this will encourage. Me. Yeah, I mean, like my question is: so we knew Tariko was probably going to get the Sunday Night Football thing, and I know Al Michaels wasn't happy about getting forced out, but. What were the other options? Like, I, I don't know. Like, was like, because nobody, we, like we said, we heard about this in March. So we kind of just expect, like, ex, you know, accepted it. But who else do you think they feasibly could have gone after? Well, I mean, the most popular candidate among the Norian fan base is Brady Quinn, but he's got a pretty but that, sweet. Gig. Is that feasible? Yeah, he's got a is sweet feasible? gig right now. Like, with, with what he's got going on at Fox with Big Noon. Um, I mean, I know, yeah, covering Notre Dame games is, it would be, you know, I'm sure really cool, but like, he he's he's got a great job. And another thing, like my question about this whole thing is why does it have to be the same booth for every game? Like I did think it would, was hilarious last year when uh um Mike Tirico would be commentating like a Toledo game on Peacock. Like that's ridiculous <laughs> given his pedigree and yeah. everything. He should not be doing that. But Notre Dame Clemson, why couldn't he do that game? Like, why w- Why isn't NBC willing to have, like, an A booth and a B booth like most other broadcasting networks do, whereas they're just, like, stick with the same two for the entire season? And that's the part that really doesn't make sense to me. Like, if they want to give Jack and Jason a shot at this gig, I, I totally get that. They can do the m- smaller games. But when you've got these big broadcasters who work for the company, if Notre Dame is truly that much of a priority, why would you not put them on the big games? That That's sort of my biggest issue with it all. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. I uh, I think I have a guy who can pass that along, so I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let him know. All right, well, I'm sure he's listening to this podcast. Yeah. Um, there's a report that came out today by John Arant, who's, who's all over this stuff for the Sports Business Journal, and the figures were a little bit confusing to me. Now, big issue in discussing these figures and everything is, like, how do we know what the college football landscape is going to look like in three years? Like, how with conference realignment and everything, there's so much that could change between now and then. But basically... Uh, this report said that Notre Dame currently gets around $25 million 
per year from its current NBC deal, which runs through 2025. And Notre Dame is seeking, or maybe they're settling on around 60 million per year from the next the, the the next contract, which might seem like a lot, but when you see what you know every Big Ten team is getting, it could be over 100 million. Like all of a sudden, that doesn't seem as much, and the opportunity cost of not joining a conference is a little bit bigger. You know, we've seen the 75 million dollar figure as well. But I guess the, the the main thing here that does seem to be pretty clear is that Notre Dame is probably going to stay independent, at least for now. I, I mean, I guess that's the, the most confident way of saying it. Is that how you interpret it as well? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I think so. Let, let me ask you, do you think we will see that home-and-home home we have with Alabama uh, come to fruition? Yes. When is it? Like 2033? Mm-hmm. I do because I think that it benefits too many people to just remove that. Game. Sure, but but if we go the super conference route and there's 20 teams in the conference, uh, and then you have to play 12 conference games or 10, whatever, you think that still happens? I don't think it's going to go like the old baseball way of doing it, where like there was no crossover at all between the AL and the NL. Even if there's a super conference thing, I think there will be an appetite to have some non-conference game, whether it be one. It'll actually probably only be one in that case. I mean, hell, some teams don't do any non-conference games at all. But the appeal from like the television aspect, I think, is always going to be there. So it might just be a really tough situation for both schools. They might have an absolutely brutal schedule with 10 conference games and you know one of your non-conference games being Notre Dame and Alabama. I just find it really hard for me to believe that that specific game will get removed. Now, other future ones, like, I, I can definitely see those being removed. Yeah, Florida, which I'm cool with. <laughs> you don't want to go back to Gainesville? <laughs> I'm cool with going to Gainesville. You and I talked about this offline before. Aren't they like kind of screwing each other with the scheduling? We go there in September, and they come to South Bend in November. <laughs> okay. I don't know who got the worst end of the deal there. Honestly, <laughs> South Bend in November is, is it bad. Can be pretty, it, it can, can be pretty. It can be nice. Yo, it can be nice. Yeah, there is no. I don't, no, I don't yeah. think Florida in September no. can ever be nice. There is no situation in which playing in Florida is going to magically be like a comfortable temperature. I went to the Florida Auburn game at at Florida in 2019. That was mid October. I have never sweat more in my life. Like I had a t-shirt and shorts on. I felt disgusting just walking around. And like, I was constantly worried about like, Oh my God, do I smell? I was totally not prepared. And that, again, that was October. Another thing that they do at Florida, they like their, maybe their best home field advantage is the way that the sun hits the stadium. The press box sort of provides shade for the home, the whole home sideline. So the visitor sideline is just sitting there cooking. Like, there's no going around it, and it is absolutely hell. Like, honestly, future prediction, I might pick Florida to upset Utah in that season opener because they're going to be dealing with that. And it just looks... Oh, is that game in Gainesville? It's not at a neutral site? Yeah, it's in Gainesville. And, like, you think guys from Salt Lake have ever played in Florida humidity like that? I don't know. That's a side note, but... I could see that game definitely getting removed. If they're already doing okay. this game with the weather, like I don't think there's that big of a commitment on either side. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. We'll do one little recruiting now, and then we'll get out of here. We've already kind of talked about in the last one. Reports from several sources indicate Notre Dame's top recruit in the class of 2023, five-star defensive end Keon Keeley. He's going to decommit. It sounds like it's not a matter of if or or when and how he might have already you know, silently committed to, to Alabama. Um, Alabama's most likely spot to land him, but his mom did tweet something that he might take an official visit at Ohio State. This sucks for Notre Dame. Like, there's just no going around it. But uh, how are you feeling about it now? At, we're, we're in that weird limbo. It's like the Dante Moore thing where it's like, can we just get on with this now? Like, just move on. I just haven't been trying to pay attention to it, to be honest. Uh, outside of the guy, like, there's a couple guys on Twitter that keep tweeting at him and his mom, and I can't. Yeah, stop we need, that, needs to stop. that needs to stop. That needs because those to stop. those tweets are unbelievable. And honestly, I can't really blame Keon Keeley for <laughs> because some of this stuff I have seen is just like, okay, like get me in the witness protection program. Yeah, like this is ridiculous. <laughs> I think one annoying thing, just this might be more of like a broader recruiting thing that that's just kind of been bothering me lately, is like 
NIL is clearly a factor in recruiting a lot of top guys, but we got to stop. And I'm not just saying Notre Dame fans. This is college football fans in general. We cannot blame every decommitment on NIL. Like, there are plenty of other reasons why a five-star defensive end would want to play at Alabama instead of Notre Dame. And that was the case before NIL was ever a thing. I mean, if Nick Saban keeps calling you, it's probably pretty hard to say no. Now, I personally have didn't experience that out of college or out of high school, rather, which, I mean, is a surprise to a lot of people. But it's a sobering reminder that Alabama just runs this shit. And until Nick Saban dies, which God knows if that's ever going to happen, like, this is just going to be how it is like if Alabama really wants a guy more likely than not they're probably gonna get him and like we just have to deal with it yeah I don't really have a whole lot to add there he's still there and that's gonna be a problem it's not a question of whether Notre Dame plays Alabama in 2033 the real question is is Nick Saban is his corpse gonna be roaming around the sidelines it, well, they do not want a Joe Paterno 2006 type situation uh, in South Bend, which, by the way, I watched that game during the pandemic one night, and like that was what four or five years before the Sandusky stuff came, came out, and he died. He looked like death in that game. Uh, like, I mean, like I cannot believe they had that 80 plus year old <laughs> man coat, and Notre Dame just pummeled Penn State in that game, and it was I think two versus seven or something. Um, it's remarkable that that guy was coaching. I, I think Nick Saban knows himself well enough, either one, not to just look that decrepit at that point, or two, just not to do that to himself at 80-plus years old. He's already 70-whatever. So I know, and maybe his body is just indestructible. Didn't he have a hip replacement and was back at practice like two days later? I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't put it past him. The dude's the dude is literally a robot, and it sounds like he's gonna um, get our top recruit. All right, that'll do it for this episode of Sun Saturday Irish. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe, and if you're listening to this on a podcast, please subscribe. I think we did pretty good numbers since our last one, but yeah, honestly, like if you're listening to this and haven't subscribed by now, then I don't know. You're pretty much dead to me at this point. Yep. Um, See ya. We will be back again next week with our full blown season preview for the upcoming 2022 season we're going to be handing out some preseason awards and uh it'll be a lot of fun so i hope you guys join us then